Open your Bibles again to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. As we continue our preaching consecutively through the Gospel of Matthew, we come to another closing section of the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to reframe for you the, the structure of this glorious sermon from Jesus Christ so that you understand like where we've gotten so that you can better understand how to hear. He opens with the Beatitudes and then there's this main body of teaching and where he's correcting wrong interpretations of the law. And then he's condemning wrong practices, false piety and hypocrisy and worldliness and anxiety and judgmentalism. And then he comes to summarize that main body of teaching in the golden rule. Chapter 7, verse 12. And so that verse begins the closing section of the greatest sermon ever recorded. And so that's where we are now. Now I want you to realize that this closing section is really important. The Sermon on the Mount is not just an information dump. Jesus is calling us to respond to his word. There's a demand for response. You cannot hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and not respond. And so that's what this last section is all about. There are four different calls to respond at the end of his sermon here. We heard the first one last week. He says, enter Enter by the narrow gate. Today, he says, beware of false prophets. And the next time, don't, don't just call me Lord, but do the will of God. And then he will end by saying, don't just hear my words, do them. Four calls to respond to this sermon. And every one of these calls to respond involves two different groups of people. We saw the, the two travelers, one on the broad way to destruction and one on the narrow way to life. And here we're going to see two trees, those that bear bad fruit and those who bear good fruit. And then next week, two professors, or those who claim to know Christ. One does, and the others do not. They think they're in the kingdom of heaven but they're not. And then at the end, we'll see two builders, those who build on the sand by ignoring Jesus' words and those who build on the rock who follow him. And every one of these four responses or calls to respond come with a warning, a severe warning with eternal consequences. And failure to respond rightly, you will respond to Jesus' words. Everybody responds. Even indifference is a response. But if you fail to respond rightly, there are eternal consequences. To those who do not enter the narrow gate and persevere on the narrow path, their end will be destruction. For those who do not bear good fruit, they will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Those who say, Lord, but do not do the will of God will be cast out of the kingdom of heaven. And those who ignore Jesus will fall under the great storm of God's judgment. Four calls to respond. And today is the second one. A warning. Actually, two warnings. Two warnings. It begins and it ends with a warning. Beware of false prophets. 
And then the warning that every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So this is serious. Serious stuff. But I want to make it a little more serious for you because I want us to remember who it is who's issuing this warning. Who it is that's calling you to respond. The one here that is warning us about false prophets is the true prophet. He's the one that God promised long ago in Deuteronomy 18. The one here that we're supposed to listen to is the one whom the majestic voice from God, from heaven, said, This is my son. Listen to him. The one who is warning us about those who twist the word of God is the word of God in the flesh. The one warning us about false shepherds is the good shepherd. And he's the one that's going to judge every careless word. And he's the one that's going to cut down and throw in the fire. Everyone who does not bear good fruit. So let us take care how we hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 7, verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree that bears good fruit, excuse me, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the chief and good shepherd. And these are your words. And your sheep hear your voice and they follow you. They don't hear my words. But they hear yours. Call your sheep, Lord Jesus. Protect them from the dangers that abound. Protect them. Protect me. Speak truth. Speak, O Lord. Give us our food. Plant your word down deep within us right now. Save the lost. Rescue the one following after liars. And who suppress the truth. Be glorified in Jesus' name. And so this is a warning. But sheep, don't be afraid. This is a warning from the good shepherd to us as sheep. Remember that the Sermon on the Mount is for Christians. This sermon is delivered to the disciples of Jesus Christ. And so this warning is for us. This warning is for sheep. And notice, he says they're going to come to you. These false prophets, they're going to come to you. My little sheep, listen, they're going to come to you and they're going to pretend to be like you. This is the good shepherd shouting at his sheep. He's, watch out. Beware. They're not sheep. They're ravenous wolves. So this warning is for us and this warning... Uh, presupposes a few things that we need to understand that the world does not understand. First, it presupposes truth. I know that sounds strange, 
But we live in a world that suppresses the truth and even denies it, the existence of truth. And no more than today. Ridiculous. And in this warning about false prophets, Jesus is presupposing truth and he's presupposing true prophets from God, from God who is the source and the standard for truth. So I want you to think about it. Man, there, there's a million religious claims that could be made. But only one true revelation from the one true and living God. God, I've said this so many times before. God is not who we think he is. And God is not who we say he is. God is who he says he is. Thus saith the Lord. There's a million ways to get religion wrong. There's hundreds of ways to pervert the gospel. But Paul says there's only one gospel. If anybody tries to bring you something different, let them be accursed. And they are. They will be cut down. And so this warning here presupposes the truth and it therefore presupposes liars. He's warning us about false prophets. Is that a new thing? Is that an old thing? Man, is that something we don't even need to be worried about anymore? Let me tell you something. You cannot fathom. I did not know. How prevalent false prophets and false doctrines are in the scriptures. Nobody has been more lied about than God Almighty. Nobody has been more misrepresented than God. I wanted to give you just a couple of verses to try to give you a flavor of, of how prevalent this is. But man, it was hard to even find a place in the Bible that didn't warn about false prophets. This is a big deal. This is a prevalent problem. The Bible warns of false prophets from beginning to end and everywhere in between. There's the death penalty for false prophets in the law. There's liars in Proverbs and Psalms. There's false prophets versus true prophets in the prophets. All through the Gospels, all through the rest of Matthew, Jesus is warning us about or he's confronting head on false teachers. In the book of Acts, Paul warns the Ephesians that fierce wolves are going to come in not sparing the flock. Paul warned the Romans that smooth talkers would come in and cause division and they, they just serve their own appetites. He warns the Corinthians about apostles of Christ who disguise themselves. He warned the Galatians and the Colossians about Judaizers who claimed circumcision in the ceremonial law was necessary for salvation. He warned the Thessalonians about fake letters, even coming from him, who said the day of the Lord had already come. In the pastoral epistles, Paul lays out the qualifications for elders that include the willingness and the ability to, uh, to rebuke false prophets. Peter's second letter, the letter of Jude, almost entirely about false prophets. The letters of John, false prophets, many antichrists. As a matter of fact, the Bible begins and ends with false prophets. Where did it all go wrong? How was humanity ruined? I'll tell you how. Adam listened to a false prophet. The serpent said, did, did God actually say, you shall not eat, not eat of any tree in the garden? And how does the book of Revelation show us or portray the last days? With an unholy trinity deceiving the unconverted world the devil, the beast, and the false prophet. 
Liars are everywhere. So why is this important? Well, liars are everywhere. False prophets are quite possibly the greatest threat to a human soul. And here's a few reasons why. Not only do false prophets abound in scripture, but they abound now more than ever. More than ever. It's always been a problem for God's people, but never more like today. Think about this. There was a time when the only way you would encounter a false prophet or a false teacher was in person. That guy had to come to your town or preach in your marketplace or maybe sneak into your church. Not today. False prophets are masters of mass marketing. TV, radio, email, podcasts, blogs, social media. A million messages and a million ways to get it into your ear. They abound. And they're deceptive. False prophets are deceptive. This is a big part of what Jesus is telling us today. They don't come with the word liar tattooed on their forehead. They don't always come with blatant heresies. They come looking and talking just like you want them to. They're deceptive. And they're demonic. The, the first prophet was that crafty serpent looking to destroy the man made in the image of God. And the Bible goes on to let us know that this ultimately, the source behind the lie is the father of lies. When Paul exposes the false apostles in Corinth, he says, Such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, he says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise that Satan's servants, you know, false prophets, would also disguise themselves. They're demonic, and they are damning. Why do you think Jesus put this warning right here, like where it's located? He says, enter by the narrow gate. He says, the narrow way is hard, and the broad way leads to destruction. And then he says, beware false prophets. Why? Because there's no greater means to keep you from entering the narrow gate than false gospel. And there's no greater threat to your perseverance on, in the faith than false teaching. And there's no greater deception to keep you peacefully on that broad way that leads to destruction than a false preacher. Brothers and sisters, the devil's greatest weapon against Christianity is not persecution, it's preaching. This is no game. This is a matter of heaven and hell. And so we better get an understanding of false prophets. And this is what Jesus has given us here. First, note this. False prophets are not from God. They claim to speak the truth from God, but they don't. Verse 15, he says, beware of false prophets. False prophets. Compound word, pseudo-prophet. Pseudo, fake, lying, deceiving, false prophet. Prophet, somebody who claims divine inspiration, claiming to speak from God. So think about what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, he's calling them lying truth tellers from God. They're not from God, they're from the devil. They're not speaking the truth, they're speaking lies. False prophets are pseudo representatives of God. They are pseudo representatives of truth. And they are deceptive and they are dangerous. They pretend to be sheep, but they're wolves. You see how he says that in verse 15. He says, beware of false 
prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. And so false prophets externally disguise themselves as sheep. You know, you better not go hunting without camouflage. Don't, don't try to sneak up on sheep if you're dressed like a wolf. There's an intentional, external deception that's going on here. The wolf doesn't just waltz up to the sheep and start preaching. He's too clever for that. He covers up his true identity. He camouflages his appearance in order to camouflage his intentions. He puts on sheep's clothing because he's not a sheep. And he knows it. But take note, he's not a sheep, but he's also a little bit more than a goat. This is more than just a, another unconverted soul. Matthew Henry says, every hypocrite is a goat in sheep's clothing. But a false prophet is not only not a sheep, but he's the worst enemy a sheep has. Why? Because they're ravenous wolves. Internally, Jesus says, internally, not externally, but internally, they have hearts of ravenous wolves. Notice, sheep's clothing, but inwardly, ravenous. Not just an unregenerate heart, but a ravenous, unregenerate heart. This is, this is predator language. False prophets are predators seeking to plunder and serve their own appetite. Paul warns the Romans, he says, watch out. Watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And so the, the false prophets are serving their ravenous appetite. And guess what their appetite is for? Sheep. Their appetite is for sheep. False prophets come to sheep to feed themselves. Don't miss this. Look, don't miss this in verse 15. The false prophets who come to you. Who come to you. The false prophets come to you. You don't have to go to them. They're coming to you. They come into sheep. Or at least those who look like sheep or pretend to be sheep or those in the church or those that are near or within the fold of God. See, Jesus doesn't say that they're foxes in a chicken suit. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're looking for sheep. They're looking like sheep for sheep. Now, the false prophet may not knowingly be looking to destroy souls, but the devil who's leading him sure is. Jesus tells his disciples to feed my sheep, but false prophets come to feed themselves. It's always been this way. God pronounced judgment on the false shepherds of Israel back in Ezekiel 34 and he, the claim was this, you've been feeding yourselves. You're wearing wool. You're, you're eating the sheep. You do not feed the sheep. You feed yourself. So they are deceptive and they are dangerous. But they do not stay un. Detected. Their true identity does not stay hidden. They manifest, ultimately, they will manifest their corrupt hearts. They appear to be fruit trees, but they're poisonous. In verse 16, Jesus suddenly switches metaphors. He switches from wolves and sheep to trees and fruit. But the explanation doesn't change. These are 
false prophets that are deceptive and dangerous, but they're not undetectable. Notice what he says in verse 16. He says, you will recognize them. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And so now he's comparing the false prophet to a diseased tree. And he says that diseased tree is going to bear bad fruit. And again, we see that internal and external. We get a glimpse of the true nature of the false prophet and what that nature will ultimately produce. That diseased tree, that rotten, corrupt, worthless tree, that cursed plant, that thorn and thistle like you hear cursed in Genesis 3. What are you going to get from that? What are you going to get from a thorn bush? Not grapes. Not anything good. All you're going to get from a thorn bush is thorns. Bad fruit. Harmful, evil, cursed fruit that comes from a cursed tree. And so Jesus, notice what he's doing here. Notice what the creator of the universe is doing here. He, he's taking a law from nature and comparing it to a spiritual reality. And the natural law is this. Guess what? Trees bear fruit according to their nature. Genesis 1, day 3. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation Planting plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind. That's how it works. Apple trees bear apples. Orange trees bear oranges. Dogs produce cats. Nope, gotcha. Dogs produce dogs. Cats, that would be evolution, sorry. Cats make cats. Thorn bushes bear thorns. And so everything produces according to its nature. A worthless tree will bear worthless fruit. A harmful tree will bear harmful fruit. Or, flip it around, a beneficial tree will bear beneficial fruit. A valuable tree will bear valuable fruit. What's on the inside, you see, comes out. And what comes out Proves what's within. This is the tree fruit principle that Jesus is laying out, and it works the same spiritually. Trees bear fruit according to their nature. People bear fruit according to their nature. Everybody bears fruit. Do you realize that every one of us right now and for all of our lives are, have been bearing some form of spiritual fruit? And that fruit that's out here comes from in here. In Matthew 12, a little later on, Jesus is going to use the same illustration. He says, either make the good fruit and it's the, the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And then he says, you brood of vipers. Talk to the Pharisees again. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the good person, out of good treasures, bears, brings forth good. The evil person, out of an evil treasure, brings forth evil. So whether, whether good or bad, whether in word or deed, what comes out comes from the heart. And so I want you to understand Jesus is talking about regeneration here. Jesus is talking about being born again or not. The, the one who, who would secure the new covenant by his own blood is talking about new covenant promises here. A new heart, a new spirit, a new birth promised by God and secured by him. Remember Jesus warned Nicodemus, you must be born again. 
Unless one is born again, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Have you been born again? Have you been born again from above? And you might say, how, how do I know? You will recognize them by their fruit. Those who are in Christ bear much fruit to the glory of God. Jesus gives us that vine illustration over in John 15. that he says, if you, if, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit to the glory of God. You know why? Because you've got a good tree. You've got a good vine. And a good tree bears good fruit. But on the flip side, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. It cannot please God. Do you realize that a bad tree can bad fruit, bad tree cannot, cannot bear good fruit. This is what Jesus is saying. So why? You may ask yourself. If you're still in your sin and you're not in Christ, you may ask yourself. Why is my mind always set on the flesh? Why, why is it that I cannot kill sin? Why is it that I cannot submit to God's law? A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. I don't know how many times it's been said from this pulpit. You cannot live the Christian life without Christ. You must be born again. You must come to Jesus Christ. And so this is the problem, not just with all the unregenerate, but it's a problem with false prophets, only magnified. You see, false prophets bear bad fruit because they are bad trees. The things they say, the things they do, the, their motives, their lives are all the result of their unregenerate heart. Listen, they, they're false prophets because what they believe in their heart is false. They're, they're, they're ravenous wolves because what they love in their heart is themselves. This is why. It's a heart problem. And this is the ultimate giveaway. This is how to recognize this is how we recognize false prophets. This is what Jesus is teaching us. That what's inside, what's in the heart, cannot be hidden forever. Because the bad tree will bear bad fruit. It will ultimately come out. You will recognize false prophets by their fruits. Notice Jesus says this twice. At the opening and the close of this little fruit section he's got. He says it twice. Now, it may take time. But fruit will come. Fruit takes time sometimes. And sometimes fruit only comes in a certain season. As Paul reminds Timothy, he says the sins of some people are conspicuous. Just going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So there, there could be a time element here. And this is why recent converts are excluded from being pastors. This is why deacons must be tested first. This is why churches are instructed not to be hasty in appointing elders. The fruit will come. Whether good or bad, given the right amount of time or maybe the right situation, every tree will prove itself. And Paul was aware of this principle and he used it over and over again to defend his own ministry. He told the Thessalonians, you know. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you. He told the Ephesian elders who he'd spent three years with, you know, you know how I lived among you, how I served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, how I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You know that about me. 
It may take time, but fruit will come. So beware of false prophets. You will recognize them by their fruits, but give it time. Let a man be proven before you give him the ear to your soul. Now, how are we going to recognize them by their fruit? I'm going to suggest three areas of examination, three areas of fruit inspection. Their words, their lives, and their followers. How do you know, how do you recognize a false prophet? By their words, by their lives, and by their followers. By their words. You will recognize false prophets by the fruit they offer you. Examine what he's preaching. What's he offering? What do they preach? How does it line up with the word of God? This is Jesus' first and foremost concern because he calls them false prophets. They come to you falsely representing God. So let's hear what they have to say. This is easier said than done, by the way. I want you to think about it. How many ways are there to lie? How many ways can you be deceptive with God's word? I thought about like, how am I going to get, how am I going to narrow this down? How, how am I going to simplify this into a simple principle and get it right? Instead of just saying, well, this is the wrong, this is the wrong words, this is the wrong words, this is the wrong words, this is the wrong words. And I think it all starts with this fundamental belief. The Bible is the word of God. All of it. Every square inch of it. From cover to cover. It's inerrant. It's authoritative. It's necessary. It's sufficient. It's profitable. It's clear. And it's closed. And it's all about Jesus. Start there. And the false prophet doesn't believe that. Therefore, here's the truth. Here's how you you recognize them by their fruit. False prophets will not preach the whole counsel of God. Isn't that how Paul distinguished himself to the Ephesian elders? When warning about the false teachers, the wolves that are going to come in, he says, I didn't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God, but, uh, the whole counsel of God, but there's going to be fierce wolves that come in. And they're going to twist the scriptures. They try to draw away disciples to themselves. This is what Paul did. He preached the whole counsel of God. This is one of the connections to, to the two ways in the previous passage in the Sermon on the Mount. There's only one way to enter the kingdom of heaven. One narrow gate, one gospel. There's only one way to to live that leads to eternal life, and it is according to God's word. But the false prophet is standing there on the broad way, pointing in every other direction under the sun except the narrow gate and the narrow way. And he's clever, too. He adds a little, or he takes a little away. Or he just says a little too little. Or he says a little too much about the wrong thing. A little twist here, a little novelty there. Pluck a verse here, stretch a verse there. Or like the Pharisees that Jesus has been confronting, lower the standard here, add a tradition there, strain a gnat, swallow the camel. But never the whole counsel of God. We see preachers today pounding their pet doctrine week in and week out. Like politicians throwing red meat to their constituents. King James only, every sermon. What kind of clothes you wear, every sermon. Politics and the country's going to hell in a handbasket, every sermon. Calvinism, every sermon. Israel, Antichrist, end times, prophecy charts, every sermon. How to have a better marriage. How to have a better life, every sermon. Never the whole counsel of God. 
Never. Chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 2. Never. Thus saith the Lord, whether you like it or not. You see, that's the key. Whether you like it or not. That's the motivation. That's the deception. They want you to like it. They need you to like it. They, they got to have a following. False prophets want to draw away. They preach to draw away disciples. They're not going to preach to run them away, but to draw them. This is what Paul said. They're going to arise tw men twisting things to draw away the disciples. They're ravenous wolves, Jesus says, coming to you in sheep's clothing. They're fierce wolves, Paul says, coming to you, not sparing the flock. How do they get away with that? They tickle your ear. False prophets, give them what they want to hear. Not the whole counsel of God. Got people in church who themselves are pretending to be sheep. They do not want to hear the whole counsel of God. This is what Paul says in his last letter. He says the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They just won't stand for it. Don't preach me the whole counsel of God. But instead, they got itching ears, and they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to turn away from listening to the truth, and they're going to wander off into myths. The false prophets give them exactly what they want to hear, and they wander further down the broad way to destruction. And it's always been this way. It's always been this way. It's always been the wide and easy way. It's always been smooth talk and flattery to deceive the hearts of the naive. It's always been peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's always been take and eat. You will surely not die. This is popular stuff. This works. This draws a crowd. Very few people like the guy that says, thus saith the Lord. This is how you recognize a false prophet. Does he strive to preach the whole counsel of God for the glory of God? Or is he just preaching to draw disciples to himself? Second, their lives. You will recognize false prophets by the fruit they produce. The Bible teaches that sound doctrine accords with godliness. So what does unsound doctrine accord with ungodliness? And sometimes this is a little harder to judge from a distance especially and without giving time and proximity. But you will recognize false prophets by the way they live, by the way they act, by the way they talk, by their lifestyles, by their priorities, by the things they do. And so examine the fruit that their heart produces. And guess what? Jesus has already laid out in the Sermon on the Mount, what to look for. False prophets will not reflect the Beatitudes. Show me a false prophet who is poor in spirit, who mourns sin and its effect. Show me the prophet that is meek like Christ or one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. No, the Bible, the Bible describes a false prophet as a loud-mouthed boaster who follows their own God, ungodly passions. And if they seem a little meek, it's only smooth talk and flattery. Remember, they are not sheep. Inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. And any manifestation of godliness is an act. Sheep's clothing. And this is why they're always hypocrites. Whether you detect it immediately or not, they're always hypocrites. False prophets will be hypocrites. This is what hypocrite means. Acting like something you're not. Playing sheep dress up is a hypocrite. He's wearing a mask. And guess what hypocrites love to do? They love to do showy religious so it's not, it's not just a disguise. This is part of the self-gratification. They want to be seen doing religious stuff. Jesus really gets on the false prophets later on 
chapter 23, and he says, they do all their deeds in order to be seen by others. Even the way they dress, he said. They love to be recognized as a teacher. They, they love the best seat in the house. They love the place of honor. This is why we don't have elder chairs sitting up here. You, you want to sit in the elder chairs? Jesus says, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Where is their heart? On themselves and the things of the world. This is nothing about their life. They're going to be worldly. Chapter 6, he warns the followers, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. But this is exactly where the false prophet's heart is. This is exactly why they tickle ears. To draw disciples to themselves. More glory from men. More treasures on earth. False prophets serve self and stuff. Not God. Jude calls them worldly people. Devoid of the spirit. The ones that say peace, peace. Back over there in Jerusalem. They were doing it for greedy, unjust gain. Paul calls them peddlers of God's word. In their greed, they will exploit you, Peter says. Ravenous wolf. So guess what? Character matters. You will know them by their lives and by the fruits they produce. So don't look for, listen, don't look for so-called giftedness. Look for character. In the pastoral epistles, Paul lays out some 17 qualifications for elder. Guess how many of them relate to giftedness in teaching? One. The false prophets in Corinth mocked Paul's lack of giftedness. They said his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. He wasn't a gifted preacher, flashy. You know what his response to that was? What we are is known by God. And we don't boast about outward appearance, but what is in the heart. But remember, this takes time sometimes. Like This is not the easy test right here. Examining character takes time. It takes proximity. Sometimes it takes seasons or situations for this bad fruit to come out, but it will. Sometimes even after death. You find out who's a false prophet by their life. Last little test here is followers. You will recognize false prophets by the fruit they reproduce. You will recognize them by their preaching, what they offer, by their lives, what they produce, and you will recognize them by their followers, what they reproduce. Jesus warned the scribes and Pharisees, he says, you hypocrites, you travel across the sea and the land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, guess what happens? He, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Followers of false prophets will bear the same fruit. This should be obvious because bad trees bear, bear bad fruit. And then bear, bad fruit then produces another bad tree. Bad fruit, kind after kind. Second, second reason this is true is these followers are following this guy for a reason. They've accumulated somebody to themselves to suit their own passions. The false prophet is preaching exactly what they want to hear because they got the same heart. They follow after the false prophet in doctrine and in practice. And therefore, they bear the same fruit. And this is exactly what the devil wants. He wants false prophets on the broad way to destruction. And he wants those followers to persevere to the end. On the wrong road. And that terrifying, irreversible consequence is hell. That's what happens. That's the consequence. That's what happens to false prophets and their followers. Jesus says it plainly here in verse 19. He says, every tree 
that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. False prophets, listen, and their followers will go to hell. God hates liars, and their portion is in the lake of fire. Now here's the, that shouldn't surprise us, but it might surprise you to realize that the followers have the same fate. The followers of false prophets have the, bear the same fruit, and they bear the same fate. Note something. In this text, Jesus says, every tree. He's not pointing specifically now to the false prophet himself. He says, every tree. Every tree. Followers and prophets. Same fruit, same fate. And I want you to know something else. That neutrality here is not an option. Good fruit is required. Listen, Jesus does not say every tree that bears bad fruit is cut down. That's not what he says. He's also not saying, if you're fruitless, you're fine. The only good place to be here is bearing good fruit. What does that mean? I don't know if you realize this or not. But Jesus is using the exact same word that we've already heard in Matthew. Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist is preaching repentance. He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And he says this very same thing. The axe, even now, is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, same word, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so what is Jesus saying here? He's saying to every false prophet, and he's saying to everybody who follows false teaching, unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. Jesus is saying, graciously, he's not just warning his sheep about false prophets. He's graciously warning the world, beware of false prophets. Get off the broad way that leads to destruction. Enter by the narrow gate. Come to me. Get on the narrow way that leads to life. Open your Bible, for goodness sakes. Open your Bible and study the truth about God yourself. Go, right now, go and ask a genuine follower of Christ to explain the gospel to you. Repent. Bear good fruit. Repent of your sins and follow Jesus now. This is how we respond. This is one of the ways to respond to this warning today. Is to repent and believe. Turn off that TV preacher. Stop following that prophecy blog. Quit listening to that charlatan in sheep's clothing. Leave that false church. Repent and believe. Believe that this is God's word and by grace read it. Believe that Jesus is the son of God and the Christ and trust him for forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And get around true followers of Christ. And sit under real biblical teaching. From a man of God. Affirmed by his church. And for brothers and sisters in Christ here. Here's how we respond to Jesus' sermon today. We learn to recognize good fruit. Don't be naive. Know the truth. You've got to know the truth yourself. The best defense against a counterfeit is to know the real thing. And the best defense against a false prophet is to know God's word. Don't be naive. And be skeptical. Test the spirits. Be skeptical. Remember, this stuff is everywhere, cover to cover and all over the airwaves. Be skeptical. Realize the seriousness and the pervasiveness of this stuff. It's everywhere and it's damning. Be skeptical. Test the spirits to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out in the world. Look, just because somebody mentions God 
or quotes scripture, that doesn't mean they're from God. Just because somebody calls himself a preacher doesn't mean they're a minister of the gospel. Just because some people gather together and call themselves a church doesn't mean they're sheep. And if somebody has the audacity to call themselves a prophet or apostle, walk the other way. Don't be naive. Be skeptical. See if they're true. Examine the scriptures. Examine the scriptures. The best way to smoke out a false prophet is to just examine the scriptures to see if what they're saying lines up with God's word. This is command, commended to the Bereans. This is what they did. They heard Paul, they received it, and they went home every day, and they examined the scriptures. Yep, that's, that, that's what he said. That's in there. That's in there. Don't be lazy. Don't be spoon-fed. Don't be misled. Don't take anything concerning God's word for granted. This goes for Dustin, Ryan, and Greg. Go and see if what we're saying is true. We will be doubly accountable for what we teach, but you're accountable for what you hear. And trust the process. Utilize sound ecclesiology. Probably wondering how in the world did he sneak that in? How did he sneak in sound ecclesiology here? Man, I think this, is, this could be one of the most important applications to take away from this passage. I really do. Guess, imagine for a minute. Guess what would happen if the only teaching you ever listened to or the only thing you ever read came from biblically qualified pastors affirmed by Bible-believing congregations who had a high view of Scripture and who preached expositional sermons week in and week out, who did not shrink back from teaching the whole counsel of God. Guess what would happen? You probably would avoid false teaching. What's the best way to do that? Be a part of a biblical church. Other than that, guess what? Man, let's utilize the same technology that they misuse. The same technology that they use to destroy souls, let's use to examine fruit. Use the internet. Check out a church. See what they believe. Read about their ecclesiology. Read about their pastors. Peruse their sermon library. Cutesy little topical sermons all over the place. Or a clear and serious attempt to preach the whole counsel of God. So learn how to recognize fruit, and then, brothers and sisters, let's us bear good fruit. Champion the truth. Do not spread lies. Be careful what you say to people. Be careful what you promote. Don't be a false prophet yourself, and don't promote a false prophet. Champion truth. Do not spread this junk. Only speak the truth. Don't promote anything unless it's straight from Scripture or genuine gospel from a fully vetted source. How about that? And last, let's pray for faithful men. Let's pray that God would raise up faithful men ready, willing, and able to teach and preach the truth. The greatest enemy to a false prophet is a true one. Paul said, take what you heard from me and entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We need more faithful men. And brothers, in Christ, you're here and you love God's word and you love God's sheep and you hate false doctrine aspire to the altar study the scriptures daily to rightly handle the word of truth and to show yourself approved and pray 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 for grace pray for the beatitudes pray for godly character and Christ likeness that everybody can see
because every healthy tree will bear good fruit. Thus you will recognize it by that fruit. Lord Jesus, you hate liars and false prophets because you are true. You are the word of God made flesh. And many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through you. Help us to tremble at your word. Be faithful to your gospel. Raise up faithful men. Help us to be champions of the truth. Watch over your sheep, Lord Jesus. Protect them from ravenous wolves. Give us help in Jesus' name.